Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Today, I'm actually flying solo as my co-pilot has flown the coop. Lil Barron is out of the country, actually. She's on a humanitarian trip and we'll be happy to welcome her back next week. But uh, in the meantime, I wanted to share just uh, a little bit about how excited we are to start a brand new year. There's so many exciting things to get jazzed and pumped up about at the Huntsman World Senior Games, and uh, not the least of which is how registrations are coming in this year. For more than a decade or so, we've opened team registration on January 1st, New Year's Eve. That's at midnight, a mountain time, of course. We just you know, figured what a great way to celebrate a new year new resolutions, new goals, and also celebrate the games, the largest annual multi-sport event in the world for senior athletes. And over the years, it has just been amazing to see how fast teams have come in. And over the years, we've gotten faster and faster. And this year was no exception. I was at my extended family's New Year's Eve party this year. Uh, we, we did like everybody does. We counted down the new year. We gave a cheer. We made a toast with you know, what we had was our Martinelli's sparkling grape juice. That's how we celebrate New Year's Eve. We all hugged. We kissed our significant others. And it was awesome. But then just for fun, I just, because I wanted to, I took a quick look at our team registrations. And by 12.03 a.m., 12.03 a.m., three minutes after registration had opened, we had 90 women's softball teams registered. 90 So by the time I went to bed, which is about a half an hour, 45 minutes later, we had over 115 women's softball teams. We had over 100 men's softball teams. We had dozens and dozens of volleyball teams, soccer teams, and the list goes on, all on the first day of open registration. And that tells me not only that we're excited for the new year, but that so many of our athletes are excited as well. Today, On January 12th, we have 503 total team registrations, and many, many of our age divisions have actually reached their participation caps. Now, as exciting as that is for us, I want to emphasize this point, and and this is important. I don't want to skip over this. If you were thinking about registering, and you just heard me say that we have all these teams that have come in and that maybe some of our divisions are closed, you think that team sports are closed, I want to encourage you to still go on and get your team on a waiting list. Things happen over the next 10 months. Weddings and bar mitzvahs for grandkids will be scheduled, injury, sickness, unexpected things come up. And oftentimes we're able to get waiting list teams in the tournament, but we can only do that if you are on the waiting list. So don't hesitate. If you're a team manager, if you're on a team and your manager has not yet registered or decided to just give up, don't lose hope. Get your team on the waiting list and let's see if we can get you in the tournament. There's no guarantee. Of course, there's no guarantee. But if you are not on the waiting list, there is no way that we can make that happen. All you have to do is to go to seniorgames.net, click on the register button, go through the registration process, and you'll be automatically added to the waiting list. You do not have to put any money down. We don't collect anything unless you make it into the tournament. 
but go to seniorgames.net. You might even find that your division is actually open. And uh, that's the good news if you go in and find it there. But if it's not, get on the waiting list. And either way, now is the time to take care of that. It's also worth remembering that individual athlete registration is going to open on March 1st at midnight mountain time once again. So put that on your calendar and you definitely don't want to miss the chance to be a part of the Huntsman World Senior Games this year. In the meantime, I'm very pleased that we have a special opportunity to welcome our guest to the show. Dr. Patrick Carroll is the medical director at St. George Regional Medical Center, part of the Intermountain Healthcare Network. Dr. Carroll earned his doctorate from the Medical College of Wisconsin and completed his pediatric residency at Columbus Children's Hospital uh, in Ohio uh, at Ohio State University. He's published 15 peer review manuscripts or book chapters and spoken at conferences from the University of California, Irvine to the Italian Society of Neonatology annual meeting at Palermo, Italy. He's also a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Carroll, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Kyle. You uh, you get around a little bit. That's you know, that's, that's kind of cool that you've been to Italy to present. That was that was a pretty a pretty fun trip, and I just love the opportunity to share what we think are some best practices that can uh, can help babies uh, in our own hospital throughout the state, throughout the country, and throughout the world where where we can make an impact. Now I know, Doctor Carol, again that your your specialty is in the neonatal area that you take care of babies and especially have a an emphasis and a love for helping moms and premature babies in that area. Um, but your title right now is the director of medicine. What what is the director of medicine and how does that relate to your practice? Yeah, so great question, Kyle. I kind of have a, a split personality, I suppose. <laughs> if you will. I, I spend I spend part of my time in the neonatal intensive care unit taking care of patients. And I spend most of my time in an administrative role as the medical director of the hospital, um, a term that's, uh, you know, the chief medical officer is used in some facilities. And then also an expanded role as the associate chief medical officer for hospitals in a, in a regional thing in Intermountain, including Southwest Utah and, and Nevada, as Intermountain has moved into the, into the Nevada, specifically Las Vegas area. That sounds like a full plate. Indeed. <laughs> I'm sure there are days where uh, you, you wish you could just go back to uh, being a doctor and, and uh, let somebody else take care of the uh, the administrative side. But then I'm sure there are also days where it's like, this is pretty cool. I get to be involved in some pretty neat things. You know, both things are pretty important. We, I, I like to say when people ask me how many patients are in the hospital, I tell them there's one patient in the hospital. That just happens to be one patient 255 times. <laughs> so we want every patient to feel like they're the only patient in the hospital and getting that level of that level of care. So there's no question. I love I love what I do clinically. I love taking care of, of premature babies, interacting with families, and help seeing those kids year after year at our NICU reunion grow up into rambunctious toddlers and successful teenagers. And um, I make a point not to promise the parents that their that their baby will grow up and make their bed or eat their vegetables. <laughs> That's probably a wise promise to make, but uh, I'm sure that when they've gone through what they've gone through, uh, to have you involved in that process, that they're just happy to have them with them. So, so really cool. So, Dr. Carroll, today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about trends that we see in healthcare, uh, things that are coming down the line, maybe new programs, new innovations. 
And uh, so first thing on your mind when you think about medical trends that people ought to be aware of, what, what, do, what do we see coming down the line? Yeah, so, so there's really two things that jump out to me. One of them is uh, telemedicine, increased medical visits or opportunities for medical visits um, using technology. And the second thing is um, somewhat of a shift in how, we've, uh, how we look at medicine, and that's a focus on population health. So um, I want to unpack both of those uh, individually a little bit, if we can. I, I think we all are aware that in so many ways, so many ways, and not the least of which in healthcare, COVID-19 kind of changed our world, right? And uh, we are still feeling the effects. Uh, it's not disappeared. It's still out there. Uh, you know, we still hear people that are struggling with it. We hear people that are diagnosed with it, but recover quickly now because of the vaccines and the uh, immunity that's built up. We still feel supply chains and, you know, there's so many things, so many things. This truly was a worldwide global pandemic. But one of the things that we did kind of see blossom and come out of the COVID-19 pandemic is this idea of telehealth. Now, it wasn't brand new. It was around before the, the pandemic, but it became something that was a little bit more of a household name. Would you, would you say that's true? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, I think back you know, around probably 10 years ago, maybe eight, 10 years ago, um, as we instituted telehealth in our, in our NICU, and I remember two situations, one where I got a call from an outlying facility and the baby had a collapsed lung. And being able to step that doctor through the procedure to put in a chest tube, being able to watch and uh, tell them step by step, this is how this is how to do it. They'd done it before, but it had been a long time. And, and that was helpful for that baby. A second situation where the baby needed an ultrasound of the heart to see if there was a congenital heart disease. And in fact, there was. And prior to that, we would have transferred that baby to my hospital and then turned around and transferred them to a children's hospital. And so by watching that ultrasound being done, we were able to avoid one of those transports and get the baby directly to the children's hospital where ultimately they needed to be. Now, you're right, with COVID, uh, there was a lot of care that wasn't able to be provided. Uh, the in-person visits were, um, were concerning. And so we moved uh, wholesale to telemedicine in a lot of different areas. And I recall during that time sitting down with, uh, um, with several of our elected officials, you know, one of our, uh, you know, several members of Congress from the state of Utah, and they asked the question, what have we learned from COVID and what do, what do we need to keep with some of the exceptions we've made? And that was a consistent answer that, that we shared with our, uh, with our legislative partners, that we do need to keep uh, the ability for, uh, for telemedicine and funding for telemedicine uh, through Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance providers. And that we've seen that happen. That's been a good thing across the country. And the beauty is now we're back on the, on the opposite side of COVID where in-person visits are possible. And, you know, speaking for uh, Southern Utah, those, those people that have participated in the Huntsman World Senior Games that have come to St. George, see what a great community St. George is and how, um, how rural it is and outside of St. George especially. We have people that we care for that live two, two and a half, three hours away. And coming, driving two hours to a 15-minute doctor's visit just to check in and make sure everything's okay and then turn around and drive back, that's quite disruptive. 
we've been able to do that. Oncology is a great example. Our oncology clinic has done a phenomenal job of these televisits where they can check in with the patient. They can still see the patient, uh, do some components of, of an exam via, via video. And it's been well-received by the patients first and foremost, and it's been well-received by our physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants in providing that care. And our goal is simply to, to provide the best care we can for patients. And this is one way that we've been able to do that. I, I loved the experiences that you shared because when I think of telecare, um, I wasn't thinking of hospital to hospital initially, but there are some in, incredibly tremendous opportunities there. Um, I normally think of, you know, I'm sitting in, in my home at my kitchen table and I'm talking to my doctor, which you also described as, uh, you know, a great benefit. Um, it seems to me like there would be certain things that would lend itself very easily and well to a telehealth visit. And there are probably some other things that would maybe not be quite um, compatible with that type of visit. Are there some guidelines that our listeners should consider as they're looking at, you know, what's the best opportunity or best option for me in my health? What should they think about as they're thinking about, is it worth a visit or, I, or could I do a telehealth visit? Yeah, healthcare is healthcare is complicated. Uh, to pretend it's not would be fooling fooling myself and fooling your listeners. Healthcare is complicated, and um, because of that, I want to reinforce the importance of a primary care physician or primary care provider to help guide the care. What we don't want to do is we don't want to suggest that replacing your relationship with your with your doctor can be done by. Um, by telehealth, by calling somebody periodically that you don't know. Um, so having that conversation with your doctor, also understanding what's available in the area uh, is, is critical. You know, within, I can speak to Intermountain Healthcare, we have uh, some areas where we do a really good job. We have Connect Care where somebody has, you know, believe they have uh, strep throat or believe they have, uh, you know, pink eye, conjunctivitis, or you know some of these conditions where calling Connect Care, kind of like an urgent care where you don't have a relationship with that person, that's absolutely fantastic, very convenient. Um, it's able to be done in an inexpensive way um, for the patient and as an organization. So that's a great option. Um, after an established relationship, there may be opportunities with your primary care doctor to have that appointment done um, from the comfort of your own home to talk about uh, different uh, medication management, blood pressure management, diabetes management. So there, there could be some great, some great options there as well. And that's going to vary based on what's available in your own community. So obviously, um, as you said, complicated scenario, complicated questions. Uh, so important that you consult with your doctor, that you build that relationship, that you have that relationship with your doctor. Um, and, uh, and then again, Dr. Carroll, I mean, you're, you're in the Intermountain Healthcare Network. Many of our listeners are going to be outside of that area. Some are going to be inside the area. But from a, a big picture standpoint, you see telehealth as a trend that is going to continue and maybe even expand in the future. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, that's that's definitely uh, something that we'll want to keep our eye on uh, for, for all of us, you know, as we take uh, the opportunity to care for our health the best way that we possibly can. Um, the second uh, thing that you said, I can't remember the I can't remember the phrase that you're using. What are, what are yeah, you calling I, I call it? Population health, and that there's a population number of that's been used for that. Okay, so population health. That was we, you and I had a chance to kind of chat very briefly this morning off air 
Um, this is an exciting concept to me. Like, dumb it all the way down for me. <laughs> what is population care? How does that work? And how do you think that that might look in the future as we look to the future of healthcare? Yeah. So great. I, thanks for asking, Kyle. Um, the word population health or population care makes you think um, it's not personal. And actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, population health is aligning what you want with how your doctor can, uh, can best help you to give you the best care possible. So why do I say that? Let's step back and look at what um, healthcare has looked like for, for many, many years. And it's what we call fee-for-service. Well, that means when you come in to get a lab, you pay for the lab. When you need an MRI, you pay for the MRI. When you need to be in the hospital, you pay for being in the hospital. And everything you do is kind of an a la carte menu, and you pay for that. That's a pretty simplistic way to look at it. But that's uh, you know essentially what fee-for-service looks like. Well, in a fee-for-service model, if we look at where the incentives, if we call them that, and where the behavioral levers are, the uh, physician, the hospital, the lab, the, the x-ray um, are incentivized by doing more things. The more x-rays that are done, the more that the x-ray department, more, the more money they make. The more labs that are done, the more money the lab brings in. The more times your doctor says, come and visit me, the more they get paid for what's happening. Now, I'm not suggesting people are doing that um, incorrectly, that people are trying to take advantage of, of patients by ordering things that shouldn't be ordered. But let me contrast that with the concept of, of population health and, um, and risk arrangements. With the population health model, and the, let me just digress for a second and say, I mentioned earlier, we, Intermountain Healthcare, has expanded into the Nevada market and specifically with uh, a group of physicians in Las Vegas. And they do this as well or better than any other group that I know. And what they do, and it's primarily um, at this point with the, with the senior population, um, Medicare or contracted, uh, contracted arrangements with insurance companies. And so the doctor or group of doctors goes to an insurance company and says, we want to take on the full risk of taking care of your patients. You have 10,000 patients, 20,000 patients, 50,000 patients, and we can take care of them. And here's how much it costs you to take care of the patients. And so what we want is we will have you just pay us that amount um, for the year. And now we'll take care of everything. And if they get an x-ray, we pay for the x-ray. If they get a lab, we pay for the lab. If they go to the hospital, we pay for the hospitalization. And if the doctor or group of doctors or healthcare organization does this well, a couple of really cool things happen. One, that becomes on the financial side viable and the, the physician is able to continue to do that. If they do it really poorly, then they spend more money in providing that care than they, than they bring in. And so let's think about the incentives. The incentive now is I'm taking care of you, Kyle, and all of your health care this year. And now it becomes very important for me to keep you healthy, to keep you out of the hospital, to, main, to control your blood pressure, to manage your diabetes. 
And all of a sudden, your incentives and your goals of being the healthiest person you can possibly be align with my incentives to keep you as the healthiest person that you can possibly be. In the fee-for-service model, those incentives don't necessarily align. Now, our right. doctors are great doctors, and, they, and they're very altruistic people to keep you healthy. Um, but they don't necess- they're not necessarily incentivized in the same way to keep you healthy, to keep you out of the hospital. Um, it, you could say, in a way, there's a perverse incentive to have you continue to be seen in the clinic. And so I love this. And what, what we see with our, with our doctors that, that do this really well in the, in the Las Vegas area is they understand their population, their panel of patients. I might be taking care of 1,500 patients over the course of a year. And I know which patients are really tenuous that are high risk to end up in the hospital. And I'm going to really focus my, my attention on those people. I'm going to help the other people as well. But I might call and say, you know what, I want you to come in and see me every month. So let's really make sure your diabetes and blood pressure is controlled. And that doesn't cost you any more money, but that really helps align what you want as, um, as an individual, as a consumer of healthcare, with what we're trying to provide you as a healthcare organization. To me, this is really, really exciting. It's something that, um, you know, speaking organizationally within Intermountain Healthcare, um, we're very focused on moving this direction. Um, more than what we have to be able to say, we want to take care of patients. We want to align these senses. We want to truly achieve our mission, which is helping people live the healthiest lives possible. And we believe that at the core of who we are. And it's not some people, it's not the people that have insurance or don't have insurance or this or that. It's we want to help all people live the healthiest lives possible. We're all in on that. I love that. And um this is, this is exciting to me as well. This is a concept that I am not familiar with. And uh, to hear that it's actually being practiced somewhere is fascinating to me. I thought this was more of a concept that was kind of hanging out there, but you're saying that it's already being done. Um, do you do you think, I guess there are, there are several questions and we're not going to have time to get into all of them, unfortunately. Um, but do you think that this is th- th- this is the future of medicine, and if it if it is, do you think that hospitals will get more into, um, you know, exercise and personal training to try to keep people going, and maybe even so far as dietitians and things like that, or is this going to be kind of a a specialized area for, as you said, maybe the Medicare. Uh, community. Well, what do you think that's going to look like? And, and now that I've asked you this very complicated, complex question, we've got about a minute and a half. So <laughs> what are your thoughts? So, absolutely. I do think this is the future. Is it the only future? No, I don't think so. I think there will continue to be multiple different models, including the fee-for-service model, including the standard insurance model. But this is what I love about Intermountain Healthcare. And I know this isn't about Intermountain, but it's, but it's what I know. We're an integrated system where the physician's um, there's an in, a physician division of Intermountain Healthcare. There's a hospital division. There's an insurance division. There's the home health division. And by being that integrated system, it lends itself to be able to do this well instead of one group of physicians saying, boy, we want this, but it doesn't align with what a hospital is trying to do or it doesn't align with what a lab is trying to do. By having all aspects of healthcare, we can make that align within the organization and help the patient in the best way. 
I love it. I love it. It's so interesting. And I'm definitely, and I know that so, uh, many of my listeners are going to want to keep their eye on this and see where it goes and if it's the right fit for uh, for the, for themselves and for myself in the future. Dr. Carroll, again, so grateful for your time today. Thank you for taking a minute to visit with us, sharing some of these trends that we're seeing out in the world. Uh, all the best in everything that you have going on there and uh, looking forward to uh, having an opportunity to chat with you again. Thank you, Kyle, and good luck in the the games this year. I know they'll be wildly successful yet again. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Wow, interesting stuff right there. Definitely things we'll want to keep our eyes on. I want to end the show in the same way that I began. Just a couple of quick reminders that, number one, team registration is indeed open. Uh, Man, we're so excited on how fast these teams have come in. We've registered, as I said, over 500 total teams in our softball, volleyball, basketball, soccer, all of our team sports. Again, my advice is to go to the website, see if your age division is already full. And if it is, get yourself on a waiting list. You can get in the tournament uh, only if you're on the waiting list, if those divisions are full, if we don't know about you, we can't get you in. And then also just a quick reminder about our individual registration, which opens on March 1st. Also, once again, at the stroke of midnight mountain time. So put that on your calendar and many of our individuals also tend to fill up quickly as well. So if you haven't already make a new year's resolution to compete in the world senior games, uh, get yourself on the calendar, get your, those dates on the calendar, make a commitment to yourself and be a part of the games this year. We also want to remind you to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We take this live show and turn it into a podcast, and you can subscribe pretty much anywhere that podcasts are found. If you happen to be listening by podcast, take a moment, give us a rating, and write a quick review. You can find this as well as previous shows right on our website as well. Once again, SeniorGames.net, so check that out. Today's inspirational thought, the key to success is to focus on goals, not obstacles. Until next Thursday, stay active. Stay active.